0: everybody sherry here again from the writing glitch hello hello april i understand happy birthday is in order for you
1: yes our beacon of light podcast became three years old today so 1095 days old so we have almost 200 episodes so it's great because we go live every tuesday night and for three straight years we're getting it up there so it's exciting Nice. So who
0: is this person that I'm talking to? April Tribe Tribedruth is a special education teacher, a domestic abuse survivor. She has nine children of her own, all with disabilities. Ah, nine children. I can't even deal with two some days. The host of the Beacon of Light podcast in her spare time. She also ghost writes, edits, books, mine included. April, I don't think you have any spare time. Am
1: I right? Time is really important. And I think really with a plan, a lot of things can happen, as you can see. So it works. (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome to this special edition
0: of the Writing Glitch podcast, the Emotional Kids Summit. As we head back to school, emotions are high. Some kids, both young and old, have difficulty managing time. We are talking all month to professionals who help kids with learning disabilities self-regulate their behavioral outbursts. Look for more episodes to this unusual month here at The Writing Glitch. April, some people in our podcast cannot see you, but those people who are taking the companion course will see something that you are doing that's very unique to everybody else. What are you doing in the background here?
1: My hands just start signing because I am of those nine kids, number six and number eight were born deaf. Okay, guess let's learn some ASL to add to the mix. So it's good practice for myself. And if my daughters ever see this, they'll be like, okay, so mom knows that we are important too and communication for us is just as equal. I am mom certified. I am not licensed certified. Not yet. That test is coming (sighs) next July. But until then, we're going to keep learning and signing. If anyone here jumps in and who is deaf, maybe this can help. But I don't know. Anyway, that's why I sign.
0: Absolutely. I knew that. But I wanted to also share that with the people who are listening to this podcast on a podcast app, they're not seeing you do that. April. You and I met October of 2018. We were both at a publishing conference, both in the process of publishing our first book. Wow. What? How amazing life has been since 2018. Yes. Can you share sure. a little bit about what happened at that conference for you? What? How did we meet there? What draw, drew us together?
1: That conference, I'm not sure all the very specifics, but I remember meeting lots of different people at different tables. And I think it was one of those times where we had just done the Barnes and Noble show, all the books, and then we're going throughout the whole schedule. Y'all been to conferences, right? Every minute of every single hour is planned out. So, you know, now you'll sit at this table now you will smile this big and now you will talk about these questions here. And so I think within all of that, I can't name the table or the day, but we had an opportunity to meet in one of the small, like, probably workshops or opportunities where you break into groups and communicate. And through the conversation, when I'm in education, oh, me too. And just looking at how connections really make, that's how we were connected together. And I had a unique story where in my school system, I'd been a part of a founding member that set up a charter school. So with the charter school, you can customize a few things. It is still a public school and people can still come and join, but we had an emphasis for the autism community. And with that, we had count them, three, three, one, two, three occupational therapists within our just school, one school, three there because we were servicing over 600 students. Sorry
0: to interrupt you. Oh, how unusual is that?
1: Very unusual. And we had saved all of our funding to make sure that this wasn't a contracted or an afterthought. Because we all know with anyone who is along the spectrum, the self-regulation, as well as handwriting, as well as name it, because it's a spectrum, happened. So we had three on campus. And our campus at the time was tiny. We only serviced, let's see, 116 students with three Akamish therapists. I know. we're like We were like, wow. And what else was really unique is that They did all push-in groups, which was phenomenal. So as a teacher, they were all in the class the whole time in different parts of the day. And they were watching, observing, and giving us pointers. Look, see how his engine's running? I'll never forget. That engine's revving. What can we do? And we'd pull out our skills that they would teach us that we would then apply to the kids and the magic. So we had our three magic fairies in our school building. We had flora, fauna and merryweather. and it was great. And that's exactly how we felt because this was at the time, right when I would say the spectrum was getting huge awareness. And so it's right in that early two thousands. And when you have all of these, it was the perfect, I wouldn't say storm, but I guess you could say storm because that's how our kids are. (laughs) They could be stormy, but it was, It was really perfect, as well as our speech and language pathologists, they would be right in there as well. So there were teams of all of us within the classroom from elementary through eighth grade for those first two years. And then we expanded from there. And now it's actually in three different campuses and same idea. And the push and model has just been one of those. That's my first teaching setting with a push and model. So I didn't know anything else. So when new teachers would get hired, they were just mouth open. (sighs) They're, I can touch them. And I'm like, oh, wait till they come into your class, honey.
0: This is going to be I'm great. I'm sorry. That, that, <laughs> that's, I almost lost it there. I
1: can touch them. And you're really talking about the therapist. The therapist. Yeah. We can ask them all the questions. They're there live. We can pop in. We can, and of course they would have to do some pullout just because of the nature of some therapies. But for the bulk of it, they were within our whole group. So as you guys are all part of this writing glitch, that's something that we hope that education can take on as a whole, because really, it would just eliminate lots of challenges in so many places. And I understand everyone's got to have a qualification and yeah, I get it. Special ed teacher. I gotcha. I know the federal laws, but heck, if you can have somebody in there, especially in those Kindergarten, first grade, second grade when handwriting is getting started. And oh my gosh, they're not going from bottom up. They're like going from top down. Wow. Let's just start there. <laughs> anyway, yeah, very cool. Very cool. So
0: at that conference, you and I realized that we had this wonderful connection. We thought the same way about pushing and working on a workload model as instead of a caseload model from the OT perspective and l- lingo that we talk about. And that was like the first connection. And then We also had this other person that came into our lives, this Johnnelly Zapanczak, who now is co-authoring a book with me, and you are ghostwriting it. Yes. It's so exciting. It's so much fun. You guys are great. And you have done such an amazing job of putting a story to all the stuff that we throw your way that's technical. You... Are have been a true blessing in that. So for everybody listening in the audience, look for more information about Math Disconnected because that is what's coming down the pike here in September. Yay! Woo! So exciting. I'm so thrilled yeah. for you guys. Yes. But that's not all that you're doing. Your first book wasn't really about education. It wasn't about your Kids, per se. Tell us a little bit more about this connection that you have
1: with domestic abuse. Sure. I don't think anybody wants a connection like that. But if it happens, (laughs) (laughs) if it happens, let's figure this out. I did. I wrote a book called Pinpoints of Light Escaping the Abyss of Abuse. And it is my memoir. So, my first marriage, because we want to just take a slice of time. And I needed to express and explain what had happened in a way that was just like you would be reading a novel. So I wrote it just as a story and not necessarily, and this is what I learned after these things happened. And many books can be written like that, self-help, support. But for this, I needed, like anything, when you connect to someone's story, what do you do? You share it you tell it. You're like, oh, you have to meet this person. Oh, you have to read this thing. Oh, you have to hear the podcast that I just heard. We are connected and touched. Sherry talks a a bit about this as well. And the whole frontal lobe, this is our decision-making place and logic is right here. Story is a little bit more primal. It's back there a bit. We've got to get through the logic to the story. All right. Why am I talking all about this? In domestic violence, there is no logic Happening because usually we have a mixture of you can have a mixture of substance abuse as well as mental health, as well as narcissism, which is a piece of mental health issues. So there's a lot of stuff in the mixed bag going on. And for my particular situation, we had bipolar schizophrenia that was not diagnosed until much later. So it was a hard thing to kind of understand in a marriage. And this isn't a blame. It's trying to figure out what's going on. And the more we tried to support and help one another, the more this, I guess you'd say monster opened up. My book really talks a lot about this. You would have a feeling of, if you ever saw the movies, let's see, A Beautiful Mind. If you ever saw that movie, you'd get a taste of this. If you ever saw the movie Rain Man, you would get a taste of it. And trying to think of the third movie now that escapes me for some reason. But this concept of we've got a lot of challenges balancing out here at the same time. And when abuse happens, whether what I say in domestic violence, the person who's perpetrating the abuse is either a caged animal or a hunter. And we're probably more familiar with the hunters, the people who plan, the people who like to have control, the people who play that cat and mouse game for that constant control of abuse that happens. And you can go into a lot of psychological understanding of this. And then what I call the caged animals, where maybe they are suffering from some type of mental health challenge or substance abuse. And so they in themselves are trapped. And just like when you approach an animal in a cage, now mind you, I am not saying that people are animals. I'm just giving you a visual here. But when you approach an animal in a cage, they don't know because they are trapped. They don't know if you are there to help them or to hurt them, period. And they will strike out. And those strikeouts, whether it's physically, spiritually, financially, physically, a combination of everything, that's abuse. So we were within that latter portion of what happened. So within that story, we understood quickly that the game of survival was thrust upon us. And that's not a healthy environment for emotionally for kids to be raised in. And we do mention a little bit about that part of their story within the book, yeah, I encourage you to go ahead and grab this book to get some understanding. I, was, I read it, and so it is on Audible if you want to just listen to it while you're doing your everyday chores, but it gives you a good concept of how this emotional upheaval within life happens and the impact that can follow through. Now, that doesn't mean that it's hopeless, right? I am smiling. <laughs> I am a happy person. <laughs> and so there is light and hope afterwards. So the resiliency is there as long as you bring in the healing that comes with it and the support and the skill work that I think would help any kid, any adult. And so I'm really excited to be here on this podcast to really help with anyone who has questions about this and we can move forward from there.
0: So what are some signs that a teacher might notice in a classroom Maybe it's a kindergarten, that they don't know the kid's family at all because this is the first child that entered school. What are some of the signs that there might be something going on at home that's not quite normal?
1: It can be really challenging to say, here's the list that's definite, but your gut first feeling is usually something to follow through on. Don't make the judgments of, but watch for how they interact or disconnect with people what makes them kind of trigger quickly or not trigger at all you just you're just watching and this is really building relationship 101 right trying to get to know people you're asking questions what do they like what they don't like if they're always trying to please please you that doesn't mean that there's abuse happening at home it's just an interesting thing to note because a lot of kids who please they please they're not going to get into trouble right so they can avoid The something that might happen later. Again, pleasers are not from abused homes necessarily. It's just something to be aware of and notice. Of course, physical markings is something that's an obvious one, but the emotional type of thing is how do they talk in their imaginary play? What do they connect with? What do they not connect with? How do they share their story? Is there one person always in charge and in control of everything? When they come into a group, do they have to be the leader? Do they have to have the one that has all the attention? Again, not saying that, oh, that equals abuse happening at home. It just is, I'm going to ask more questions and follow through with this and find out more that if whatever I can and go right to the source. Even though sometimes that source, those parents might not want to share, still ask, make a connection and relationship with them because when they're ready, they will spill it. So connect, be that friend, communicate with that. And always try to be the detective role of, ooh, I saw something. Oh, I saw something. Take note of it, but you're not on CSI. (laughs) You're not trying to solve the world. I'm there. Take note and build the relationship so that you can communicate because if they trust you, they'll spill. You've done a lot of work
0: in supporting after somebody is out of the situation or trying to be removed from the situation. And I believe you call it survivorship, and maybe I'm misunderstanding you, but what happens in that time frame where they finally open up and get away? How could a teacher or a therapist support that situation?
1: Great question. So I do talk a lot about what I call the Supporters Toolkit, and it really, it's a course that's short and quick that helps you to notice a few things. And the the concept really is about showing empathy and to know that people are doing the best they can with what they have. And as a supporter, you will start to discover your role as you might be the one where you've built the relationship and they can vent to you. And so you take that information, which helps lift their load, but you don't judge afterwards or give them the list of advice as a counselor. Okay, now you should do ABCDFG. So there's different roles within a supporter. There is that one where you can have that friendship. You might be the role of a supporter where you hold the backpack for somebody that's making their plan to leave or the special password, or you're the one to go call and pick up the kids. There, Like I said, there's a variety of things. And there are people which are not a good fit as what I call the support team. The support team are those first responders, not necessarily police and firemen I'm talking about, They're the first responders to know because they've built a a bridge of trust there that the person who's reaching out can trust you and vice versa. If you're really close to the situation and yourself, you feel like, I'm putting this in air quotes, been burned by the person because this time they're going to leave and they promised and then they went back to them. Can you believe that? You're probably not a good team member. (laughs) Just going to say, because that's like a fireman coming in to a burning house. And as he's hosing it down saying, did you start this fire? I know it was you started it. Probably not very helpful. <laughs> Just <laughs> going to throw that out there for as a, so you get a visual on this. So they come, first responders come and respond. They don't judge. They step back. And then they let the investigators come in and figure out who actually started the fire. But they came in. They're not going to yell at people who are drowning. Well, how'd you get in that water? not going to do that. So that's, as a survivor, those people who are trying to build their team to help escape, they are looking for people to to have that connection with. And if you want to be a part of, quote, that team and offering support, that's the intense part of things. So when it comes to teachers and therapists, really being the listening ear, and if they share something that you have to report, of course, that's your obligation to report. But if they share something, really make sure that they know that you are there as you listened. And that you cared. You showed the empathy. That's a huge piece of this. Because in the bottom line, we're human. Humanity has to connect to humanity. Stories are told. And if you know that lies pop up because they are trying to protect and cover, you're not the gotcha police. Oh, I gotcha in a lie. You're like, wow. They maybe had to share that because something else has popped up. So it, you just take a different perspective on it. And you nod and smile a lot. And your empathy, you're empathetic with them while they're trying to figure this out. I think really great information and being positive. And you might not even know the situation at all, but you can see someone who's down and sad. You don't have to know what the whole background story is. Just be positive and happy and show them some light. Show them some hope. And if every time they're coming into the therapy session, they're like, oh, could we play with the, can we do the rings today or the blocks today? Sure. Let's try that. Something where they can feel like they had a say in what's going to happen and you can connect back with them or you can say, hey, you know what? We're going to be doing this today, but we can plan that for next week. And then you follow through on your word. Really just being positive and helpful is one of the best parts of this connection.
0: So you're also talking about how to connect with the student and working with them and helping create that empathetic path with the student as well as the parent. We go it works both ways. It's not just the student that we have to work with, it's the parents as well. Do you have any programming or do you have any resources on how to help the teacher communicate with maybe the principal or an administration? that they're not going to throw up the red flag and be mandated reporter instantly that we can work through some of this. Cause as therapists and teachers, we are mandated reporters, but how do we work through this and not isolate the situation? Does that make sense?
1: It makes really good sense. And like I said, the first thing is to try and build that relationship together. So. I'm going to say this, you're reporting, and it's going to get a notification. Child Protective Services is going to go out, or in, in theory, they go right out, and they're going to assess the situation, and we're going to get into these things. But maybe some questions that could have been asked prior to really would have saved a lot of challenges because I'm not saying that there wouldn't be problems there. I'll just give a situation of a fellow author. So her child has intense medical needs, intense medical needs. And He's been on the near-death brink several times, and he doesn't look good, and he bruises easily and because of the nature of his illness. She's called probably monthly for CPS, and she constantly says, come on over. If you want to know the situation, just come and ask me. I can show you what the life is like. You come right up. Here's a YouTube channel. It's all right here, or what have you ask questions first, build those relationships of trust. I love to put out little surveys that are quick, the short stuff. What does your kid like? What does he not like? What do you like? When can I contact you? What's best for that? And I know it's always a challenge. No script is going to be the golden key, but keep working on it and keep building those relationships because that, if you can know what the background is, or at least what they've shared with you, it's helpful. And Not everything goes into the immediate physical abuse. Now, that doesn't mean that words can't hurt equally as well or worse. I'm not saying anything of that. We're just talking about, as you are having all of these amazing people within your community, classroom, therapy room, get to know them. They're not the number. They're not the labeled, oh, there's the runner. Oh, there's the thrower. (laughs) They're the people. And yeah, they might have a tendency to behave that way but the behaviors don't, shouldn't label them. And I'm not talking about label of classifications and all that stuff. I think all of those things have a place and an importance so that you know how you can do your therapy. And if you were trying to help somebody that was not on the autism spectrum and you were just doing those kinds of therapies, that would make sense. So of course you need those kinds of labels. But when you over label like the runner, the thrower, the biter, (laughs) eh, not really helpful. So just, I know there's kind of a long way to get back around to it, but really ultimately it's building the relationships. So anything with emotional regulation, if you have somebody that they've built a trust with, that's the first way to to break through so many of the doors and you'll see behaviors over time really calm down.
0: Get to know them. Show empathy. That's what I'm taking from what you have said. Is yep. that a good nutshell? Yep. I love it. Yep. Great. Is there
1: anything else that you'd like to share? Oh man, sure. How much time you got? (laughs) So I think really, I'm thinking about emotional regulation and things like that. If we just keep it as a baseline, sometimes we freak out or there's things like social and emotional learning and all this thing. I'm not a licensed social worker. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. I'm a teacher. And I'm a woman, I'm a mom, I'm a friend. So what are the skill sets that I have? I can make people, I can bring happiness into their life by just being me, shining out that little light that I have, right? That little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Yeah, you got it, right? It's that's, That concept really is get to know some people, share those likes, have fun. Sometimes we get so far into the serious because there are serious natures, but if you could be the one that was a piece of hope and light and shining out for someone, let's do that. That's a lot more fun. It doesn't give you a headache. I'm just saying. <laughs> you have some options there, because emotional and social regulation for students really is, yeah, their behavior is telling, them, telling you something. Instead of trying to race in to try to control, let's let them share for themselves. There's a an interesting picture out on the internet right now. And this has to do with something not exactly what we've been talking about, but I'm going to share the picture anyway. So imagine this. And I've worked with this because I have deaf daughters. So imagine you live in a world that is silent and your communication is very visual. And you might not, even as a small child, like one years old, you don't know what the language is. Your hands are moving and signing is going to be a part of your life. And as a parent who is maybe a hearing parent, they're going to doctors and trying to seek advice and they're trying to do all these things to help. Maybe we could just look at what the kid needs first. And if the kid is showing that sign language is something that they're connecting up with, the scary part can feel like, oh, wait, then that means I need to learn. The parent, me, oh, I've got everything else going on in the world that I can't. Let's see if we can plug them in. Let's see where that thing is. That thing is. All right. I don't want to get any political things. The choice is what I'm saying really is let's find out from the kid first. What are their behaviors? What are they showing? What are they displaying? Let's follow that lead a little bit. And really that's going to be super helpful. And then the image is there's a mom, there's a doctor, and there's just like a speech bubble that in the picture has all different devices of how to help somebody here <laughs> with technology. And then you see the child off to the side in a little bubble that's above his head with hands moving, like sign language. Mm -hmm. And so the kid was actually telling you what you needed the whole time. And sometimes we just get distracted by all the latest and whatever kind of shiny. All right, that's an example with deaf. But it can be similar to so many different situations. Are we actually listening to what the kid needed? Are we looking at what the behavior is telling us? And again, this doesn't have to go deep and crazy. We can just be like, hey, looks like you're having a hard, a hard morning. And we're thinking about that in our head. And a lot of time, distraction is the perfect thing to do, right? Distract them with some something that makes them happy. And it's not gifting, but it's, it's something that is connecting. So hopefully something like that can help out there. And if you guys have any questions, I'm really happy to share with whatever that I can. And my classroom is an open classroom. I invite people in. Constantly come take a look, see, feel, experience, get to know, see my mistakes, see our wins. And the, that relationship and connection is just so vital. Okay.
0: I'm coming over.
1: I will see you in your classroom tomorrow. I'll do some more YouTube in on it. <laughs> yeah. We YouTube everything over there. We show them how they're cooking, how they're this, how that. Cause I teach those ninth through 12th graders. Adult living skills, life skills, work skills, community skills, and uh, trying to really get them to become as independent as their ability allows. So that's kind of the goal.
0: Yeah. Every time we have a conversation, you're talking about cooking or things like that. I'm like, I want to be in your classroom with you, (laughs) but you're just a little bit too far away for me to help.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Idaho and Pennsylvania. It's a little far, girl. Come closer. (laughs) Or I'll come visit come something like that. <laughs> you, can, you can head east. We do like you here in the east. <laughs> You're going to take my big western boots with me. You know? And your y'all. <laughs> yeah, I'll take my y'all anytime. Yep, for sure.
0: <laughs> anyway, thank you for joining us today, April. I appreciate your time and everything that you have done for your kids. Every time we have a conversation, you just amaze me with what you have accomplished. And so for those people out here listening, take time, get to know your students, have empathy for them, get to know the parents. Even if they're that parent that keeps ghosting you, do what you can to get to know your parents and help these emotional kids overcome these outbursts. This has been Sherry Dowder from The Writing Glitch. I have been with April Tribe. Thank you for coming today, April. And thank you for signing your way through this podcast.
1: You bet. Anytime, Sherry. I'm glad we can help. Y'all get this book. I'm telling you what, it's going to be amazing. You got to get this book from them. It's coming out in September. Math disconnected. You're going to be shocked. It's going to be awesome. There'll be a story in there that you will connect with. So grab this book, guys.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And get both of your books. What were the titles
1: again? I have Pinpoints of Light, Escaping the Abyss of Abuse. Okay. For anyone who's watching, that's what it looks like. Big lighthouse on it. And then my other book is Out of Darkness. This is the how-to. Like, when these things were happening in here, this is what I did about it. So the other one is Out of Darkness, Find, Fuel, and Live in Your Light. Yep. there we are. All right. And that course that you were talking about is called the Supporters Toolkit, and I will have a link, and I will drop that over to Sherry. And this course will really help you if you know of somebody, you have a coworker, a family member, a friend who might be in a challenging situation, and you might not know the depth of it. This is something, a quick course that you can take as a supporter to know how could I best help somebody? Because a lot of the times we think we don't have that skill, or I'm not, like I said, a licensed social clinical or a clinical social worker. I don't know what to do. Really this course helps those supporters become an ultimate supporter or become a Gloria so that they can really help somebody in need and their life will improve like a hundredfold. So it's an exciting thing. Again, that's called the Supporters Toolkit and we'll have those links below with Miss Sherry.
0: And those links will be in the companion course which is supplemental to this podcast. So if you go to the show notes, it'll give you a link to the companion course that you can find more details. Awesome. Thank you again. Have a great day, everybody. Bye.